Welcome to another episode of the Universe Within Podcast. This episode of the show is being sponsored by the Amazonian Plant Healing Center, the Temple of the Way of Light. It's a place I've worked at for the past decade now, on and off, especially the last few years, pretty much full time. And I can really attest to the quality of the work they do. Um, they offer plant medicine retreats, predominantly working with ayahuasca in the Shipibo lineage, which is a group of people who've worked with this plant for uh, a very long time. Um, they offer 12-day retreats, working with six ceremonies, four different healers, curanderos, uh, two to three facilitators, which are kind of like uh, the bridge between the, the curanderos and the guests that come down. Uh, they offer a pre-ceremony yoga class. They work with the massage people, bone setters, herbalists. Uh, so it's really just an amazing support staff that really creates a conducive and safe space that's able to allow people to go really deeply into this work and to, to really get the things that they came uh, looking for, whether that's healing, learning, uh, insight, resolving trauma, uh, trying to better understand one's place in life, one's purpose, uh, these things that are really common goals that people come down for. So it's a really amazing place. Uh, they've unfortunately been closed since March of 2020 due to the pandemic, but they're scheduled to reopen in hopefully June of this year, June of 2021. Um, so if you'd like more information about them, you can check out their website at templeofthewayoflight.org. And I'll put a link in the show notes for that. Um, also, myself and my colleague Marav Artsy will be running plant dietas in the Sacred Valley of Peru. Uh, we just finished one recently and we'll be doing another one in the month of May and uh, a following one in uh, uh, September. So that's a really amazing opportunity to go really deep into this plant world, to, to diet one plant, which entails going into isolation, really restricting one's intake uh, via stimulus, via food, um, and consuming a plant, which are considered teacher plants or master plants, which really have the ability to, to heal us, to teach us, and to open us to this world of the plant work. But but also, as, as uh, my guest today says, really going in and finding our own truths and our own uh, insights, uh, our own consciousness. And, um, so it's a really beautiful opportunity to do that. So if you'd like more information on that, you can check out my website at nicotianarustica.org and my colleague Marav's site at tobaccodiets.com. There'll be, there'll be a link in the show notes for those as well. Uh, today's guest uh, is Roman Hannes, and he's the head of a, a, an institute called Paititi, which does a lot of work in preserving uh, indigenous traditions that work with some of these master plants. They host retreats where people are able to, again, go very deeply into these, um, these plant teachers, things like ayahuasca, wachuma, coca, uh, working with indigenous elders and, and in a space that's held by himself and his colleagues. Colleagues. And as I mentioned in the podcast, um, having done this work for a while now, I've, I've heard of many different centers, and usually you hear good and bad things about centers, but um, as I mentioned to him, I've, I've only heard really good things about Paititi, and so I think that's really a testament to the quality of the work that they do. It's uh, you know one of the places I'm, I'm always happy to recommend people to. 
Um, I knew this would be a good conversation because I, I think there's not so many people who have the, the breadth of knowledge of Roman and the, the depth of the work he's done, the time, the energy he's put into it. And I think that really came across in the podcast. Uh, he's really able to, to share from a place of personal experience, his own experience, having worked with many people, uh, I think to, to really the essence of, of what these teachings are pointing towards uh, via his own experience. Experience working with different, as he puts it, wisdom keepers, elders, what they've taught him, what he's learned through his own experience, uh, and very much how he shares really uh, very closely parallels my own journey and what I've come to see and what I've come to learn. So uh, for me, it was really a pleasure to talk to him. Um, I think this is probably one of my favorite episodes in, in the the depth of, uh, of of what Roman is able to uh, to share and to teach, and I, I think he has a really important voice and a really important message, uh, and I think he really gets to the heart of of what a lot of this work is about. So, I think, and I hope you all will really enjoy this episode. Um, if you're liking these podcasts and you're able to support. That's a really big help to me. Uh, Patreon is a really good option for that. It's a subscription service. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can subscribe and you get access to things like early access to shows, bonus materials, Q&As. Um, so it's a really beautiful opportunity to give and also to give something back. Uh, that's also one of the kind of fundamental pillars that Roman was talking about in a lot of these lineages in Quechua, they call it Aini or in Shipibo Akinananti, which is this idea of reciprocity. And so it's a, it's a beautiful way if you feel like you're gaining something from these podcasts to, to help to support. Um, so Patreon is a really good option. There's also the option of direct donating via PayPal. There'll be a link uh, for both of those in the show notes. Um, and if you're not able to do that, Simply going on the YouTube channel, subscribing to the podcast, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, um, leaving a comment. Those are really good ways to help with the algorithms in this interesting time we live in and to help this show get out to a bigger audience. So if you have done that, thank you very much to all the Patreon supporters. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it to all the people who've donated directly via PayPal. Thank you. I deeply appreciate that as well. Um, and then with the audio version going on Apple Podcasts, uh, similarly subscribing and leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's really helpful with the audio version in getting that out to a bigger audience. So I think that's it. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Roman. Welcome. Um, so I think I think we may have met really briefly. I can't remember, but I, I, I feel like it, maybe I met you, this was probably like eight years ago at, at the dawn. I think someone maybe introduced me. It was just a, a split second, but mm -hmm. um, I think that's where I had first heard of you. And then I was working at a the, the big center, the Temple of the Way of Light. Mm -hmm. I, I've been working there on and off for like the last probably nine years now. Mm. And, um, and so I had heard of Paititi. I, I think, uh, do you remember a girl named Jeanette? Uh, she's from mm -hmm. Ecuador. Yeah. I think she did maybe some work with you volunteering. Mm -hmm. She's, she's big into permaculture. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so she had mentioned Paititi, and then I think maybe she gave me this documentary, The Sacred Science, mm-hmm. and that's one of the other ways I became familiar with you all. Um, and then just doing this work, I mean, you know, different centers pop up, you know, we tend to kind of know of other centers and, you know, often it's kind of like in a bad way or a weird way, like, oh, someone went there and they didn't have a good experience. Right. But everything I've heard of Paititi, you know, all the people I've met, they've always just said really good things about it. And, and I think that's kind of a rare thing in that world. So, you know, I think that's really a credit to you and, and what you guys have been doing. So maybe just to start, it'd be really curious uh, for me and also for the audience, like a, a bit about your background, where mm-hmm. you're from, what got you interested, because I know you're interested in other modalities, things like traditional Chinese medicine, Tibetan Buddhism, mm-hmm. obviously plant medicine, which a lot of this podcast is geared towards. So mm-hmm. who are you and how did how did you come about? <laughs> sure. Well, I'm uh, um, born in uh, Moldova. So it's a little country in Southeast Europe. And uh, then my life took me to different places and uh, lived in the Middle East for years and then uh, in the U.S. And then uh, about 20-something years ago, um, my life brought me to the Amazon rainforest. And uh, one of the main reasons at that time for me was... uh, this uh, genetic health condition that is considered to be incurable in Western medicine, uh, Crohn's disease. And um, uh, people can have it for many years and then it can be also terminal. And uh, when I was a teenager, when I was 12 years old, I was diagnosed with this illness and then uh, prescribed uh, pharmaceuticals that uh, for the first few years have been helping. And then they started making me feel a lot worse. And at that time, there was no alternative treatment. So the doctor said, basically, if you continue to feel worse from this condition, the only other option is uh, to have surgical procedures removing sections of large intestine for the rest of your life. And uh, my grandmother, from whom I inherited that condition, she actually died from one of the complications in the surgeries for the last 40 years of her life. She had continuous surgeries uh, twice a year. She would have once a year, like 20 centimeters of large intestine cut away. And then by the time she would heal, it would take her like six months to heal from that surgery. She would have another surgery. Mm -hmm. So that option wasn't very appealing Mm -hmm. to me. And so I started looking for alternative healing modalities and with that condition especially my first uh, lead that I was given by my gastroenterologist actually by allopathic doctor he said that it's very psychosomatic Mm. so that was my first hint and then with that I started studying uh, Jungian transpersonal psychology and uh, my initial intention uh, I became fascinated by it so My initial intention was actually to go to Zurich and study at the Jungian school. And so then I was preparing for that for a few years and I studied every book that I could find on Jungian psychology by Jung. And um, then I started uh, engaging also with uh, traditional Chinese medicine, with uh, the 
healing arts with the energetic practices like Qigong. And uh, then that brought me to Buddhist psychology and uh, also the uh, Toltec um, mm. tradition and uh, the Northern Native American tradition. And then at a certain point, everything was pointing to the Amazon rainforest. Mm-hmm. So then I ended up, that was a culmination of a journey. It was not uh, something separate because it was just following certain uh, landmarks on the path of my own healing journey and connecting the dots. And then uh, coming to the Amazon, it took about eight months. And then, of course, in the Amazon, a lot of the dots have connected for me through all of the different... Um, ancient traditions and the sciences of consciousness mm. and then uh, actually meeting a living wisdom tradition and connecting with elders because when I came at first to the Amazon rainforest in 2001 um, I started meeting different healers and shamans and even at that time there was already quite quite a few of them and a lot of them were already gearing towards tourism and tourist attractions and I was not interested in that so it took me about six months to find the healers that I felt a deeper connection and resonance with and the elders that um, actually shared their experience and were not uh, just some kind of a show or a title or appearance but uh, I could relate to them as real human beings and that was very important for me Mm-hmm. to really connect with uh, people who I could see were also facing their challenges and their issues in life and worked with their own uh, healing process and health conditions. And then I started engaging with them on a deeper level. And um, then eight months in the Amazon rainforest, I went into full remission from that health condition that I had. Mm-hmm. I had that health condition for 10 years before I found the resolution and then it's I've been in full remission ever wow. since. Can you describe Crohn's disease because I'm probably more and more people have heard of that because mm. it's it's it seems like it's it's one of these mm-hmm. conditions that's becoming more common but for someone who isn't familiar with that how would you describe that? Well in my case it was in the large intestine. People have it in different uh, sections of the gastrointestinal tract and um, uh, basically lymphatic knots Form It's an autoimmune condition and, like I said, uh, considered to be quite psychosomatic, so it's triggered by stress, anxiety. And um, then those lymphatic knots, uh, they uh, become more and more knotted and then that creates uh, wounds that don't heal and is often accompanied by episodes of uh, intense agonizing pain and uh, inability to absorb nutrients and uh, minerals and um, um, yeah, creates all kinds of um, digestive uh, issues and um, affects many aspects of... For me, for example, it was also affecting because I wasn't absorbing nutrients, so it affected my uh, teeth. The uh, calcium wasn't really being absorbed and... Uh, then um, iron levels so for many years I was anemic and um, 
So it's a condition that uh, is debilitating pain and all kinds of different um, experiences that relate to that. And um, of course also different, uh, in my case, was related to different unprocessed emotions and a lot of inhibitions and um, also related to this deeper meaning in life that was the blessing in disguise mm. in my own case because it made me actually search for meaning beyond what was available in everyday life. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I, um, you know, working at the temple, we, we work with quite large groups and we always do a, a consultation with, with each individual uh, before we start ceremonies. And I, I remember in the beginning, um, things like digestive orders, autoimmune conditions, they, they seemed quite rare. I mean, this was, again, maybe 10 years ago now. Um, you know, maybe one or two people out of a group of 23 would, would say they, they had something like that. And now it seems like I would say probably 30, 40, 50% of the people come and they're describing some sort of issue with digestion with, with this area. So it seems like it's something that's really increasing. I mean, maybe not specifically Crohn's disease, although it, it could be, but it seems like these digestive orders or something, I don't know if you've noticed that, but they seem to be very on the increase. And do you, do you have any idea about that? Or do you think that's kind of a product of, of the time we're living in with more stressors, potentially lack of purpose, as you said, like lack of a, of a higher calling of, you mm -hmm. know, what is my purpose in life? Yeah, I'm sure that everything that is happening in the world and the way our society is moving towards more superficial life values. And, um, of course, in the uh, healing work that I'm engaged in, not only in the Amazon rainforest, but it, there is also parallels between different healing traditions like the traditional Chinese medicine um, where the stomach is connected to the ability to digest the food for thought mm. and uh, to find the essential nutrients in life circumstances and situations mm. so I'm sure that's also a factor in that and then of course over the last 20 years I've seen ayahuasca become available to a much greater audience and people in society where before it was something that was not very known and people who were more in a spiritual path, more in-depth spiritual path that would become familiar with the Amazonian tradition and today it's becoming a household name so I'm sure that's also uh, playing part in mm -hmm. that. So what was it what was it about the these amazonian traditions or i think you've also worked with some of the andean traditions here mm -hmm. what was it that you saw in that that you maybe intuitively knew that was going to be beneficial mm -hmm. to you well um working with the transpersonal psychology before coming to the amazon and the andes um, i was pointed towards the psychedelic culture and uh, then I went quite in-depth into the psychedelic uh, self-exploration. So I read 
a lot of the books on the subject by Albert Hoffman and Alexander Shulgin and um, other researchers, Terence McKenna and um, um, then, yeah, I've explored it quite in depth and uh, considered myself an experienced psychonaut before coming to the Amazon. And it definitely helped me at that time. It was like the emergency resuscitation opened my eyes to uh, a whole universe that existed outside of my comfort zone at that time. And then, of course, coming to the Amazon and uh, meeting the indigenous culture and the wisdom uh, traditions. Then I discovered that um, all the psychedelic... Uh, exploration that I've done it was children games in comparison and I've done you know quite intense in-depth exploration worked with um, all the psychedelics that were available at that time and in quite big doses and then I discovered it was children games because the psychedelic culture is quite young it's like you know maybe a generation one generation and the indigenous tradition is many, many generations and thousands of years of accumulated human experience where they had time to explore and then time to find what works and what is meaningful and what is sustainable long-term. And for me, that was very important to actually see what happens to someone who works with it for a long time. And with the psychedelic culture, I, I was in that culture for a few years and... I also did that. I looked at people who were doing that for 20, 30 years, and I didn't like so much. <laughs> so I saw very eccentric personalities and uh, a lot of confusion and had a few friends uh, who got lost in, in that exploration. And uh, then coming to the Amazon rainforest and... Uh, um, of course, I had to also take the time and really connect with people who I felt were more in-depth working with it and who actually had a very profound uh, lineage behind them, not just one person, but uh, that was also very essential for me because if it's just one person and their subjective experience, it's one thing, and then if it's actually intergenerational and uh, there's a lot of meaning and uh, connection to the many teachers and people who have gone through their own experience and verified it. Because in those situations where there is a very intense experience happening and I feel like I'm dying, it's important to have a trustworthy connection and link, not just to one person. But to see that, yeah, this is something that uh, I can rely on and I can test it through my experience and apply it. And uh, that was very meaningful to actually go more in-depth mm -hmm. into my own process. What were those qualities <clears throat> that you saw in these people that, that you realized separated them from from other people who, uh, kind of as you were saying, may have been masquerading as, mm -hmm. as healers or cuadernderos, but that you saw in, in this person or these people that, that really made you see like, hey, this is someone who actually is, is carrying a type of wisdom or a tradition. 
Well, it was actually a live outside ceremony and who they were as people in everyday life. So that was very essential for me, not just to come for a retreat or for just a one ceremony or just to know them in the ceremony context, but to actually get to know them in everyday life and stay with them and live alongside them and see how they are in their family life and experience and in everyday existence and how I can relate to them and find meaning. And that was the most essential for me to connect with those people. Mm-hmm. Not just the appearance or the performance, because it's easy to have some kind of a show for a few hours. But then uh, throughout everyday life, then everything starts to come up to the surface, how people are dealing with all kinds of challenges and practical. That was also very important, a like, uh, very practical approach to spirituality, mm-hmm. how to engage with um, yeah, everyday experience and life and all of the issues and problems that are coming up and uh, interaction with people, with circumstances, with arguments, with challenges, disturbing emotions. Mm-hmm. So that was very essential for me because it was not like somebody else could um, give me the meaning of life or to tell me the truth, but uh, to recognize my own truth to the degree that I was familiar with it and to recognize it in someone else on a deeper level. So that was very important. Because mm-hmm. at that time, yeah, I already had some basic foundation of experience and then I could actually check that and see where it could deepen. But uh, it was essential for me to actually already have with a certain point of reference through my own life journey and experience and have a certain foundation within that that I have verified and then to meet with people who could relate to me and I could relate to them and then uh, point me to deepening my own experience of truth And that was also a big one for me where the truth, um, not as some kind of a philosophical concept, but as a state of being that is Mm -hmm. unmistakable, that I could actually directly experience beyond the concepts and ideas. Yeah, that's very interesting because that that seems to be like a very controversial word Mm -hmm. these days, truth. Mm -hmm. And... I think that's really beautiful how you described it, this idea of, because we can all get in these intellectual games of, you know, what is true, what's not true. But to me, it does seem like a lot of this plant work, when we go really deeply into it, one of the things it is pointing towards is a, is a truth, is a, and as you said, it's something that's, that's discovered within ourselves that's kind of unshakable in a way. It's not, doesn't matter if someone says yes or no or right or wrong. There, there's something in us that, that we discover that, that is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. We have glimpses of it. Mm-hmm. And um, it is controversial in a way where there is often a gap between the glimpses of that within the ceremonial context 
and then the ability to actually bring it into everyday life. And uh, that's one of the biggest problems that I see within the whole, um, how to say it lightly, like scene that mm-hmm. has been developed out of it where people experience a state of being, but then there is often a misinterpretation. And uh, these cultures, through my experience, I found out they are mystery initiation schools and uh, there are a lot of um, filtering mechanisms within those mystery initiation schools. And there is an encoded ancient language that these traditions are based upon. And then, of course, the monkey mind can easily just misinterpret it and the conditioned ego likes to adapt and make things comfortable for itself. And then people have an experience, but then without having the context of the culture and the ability to decode the meaning of it and really apply it in a very practical way. That's something that uh, I see is one of the biggest challenges that Mm -hmm. uh, exists between the ancient cultures and our modern mind frame that is very conceptual and intellectual. Why do you think that is? Because I, I was actually having this conversation with the, a friend of mine, Mike, the, the last interview I did, and one of the things we were speaking about is this idea of you know, finding this truth or, or this reality or these, these principles, but then it often seems it's very difficult to extrapolate that into the outside world, into practical reality. You know, we we discover something is is maybe true, like I, you know, there there's a benefit to being kind. But then when I see someone I don't like, that principle kind of goes out the window, and I start, you know, getting angry or judging. And but it's coming in the name of oh, well, this person is bad, therefore I have the the right to do it in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, because you also mentioned this idea of like applying it, which kind of reminds me of this idea of integration. Do you think, I guess this kind of a, maybe a multi-part question, but why do you think that is so hard to extrapolate, you know, with these things that maybe we do realize in ceremony and then applying them to our day-to-day lives? Mm-hmm. And do you think that's maybe part of the process of integration? And you also mentioned this idea that, you know, some of these traditional cultures they had systems that kind of vetted that or, or there was ways that 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 they were built into the process to apply those. And it, is it also kind of difficult in a way? Because when we're working in a very specific tradition, you know, many of us maybe aren't from that tradition. And so there's kind of this interesting dance where we're taking certain things out of it, but maybe not going fully into all of the other things that encompass that that way of being as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. And uh, that's been uh, my uh, calling within this tradition. So um, I've been dedicating myself to the integration process way before it became popular. And uh, so the last 20 years, I've been finding ways to actually uh, connect those dots 
and um, yeah, I've been staying outside, you know, uh, uh, the radar mostly uh, within um, all of the different uh, dynamics within the modern kind of popularity of uh, the ayahuasca tradition. And of course, today when people speak about the Amazonian culture, the first thing that um, is associated with that culture is the ayahuasca, but that's really this cherry-picking mentality mm-hmm. of the Western uh, kind of approach to life. And uh, in my experience, uh, it was just one part, one small part of the uh, ancient uh, wisdom tradition. And uh, then, of course, it got fragmented, that tradition got fragmented, and ayahuasca is one fragment of it that today there is that main focus, okay, this is that magical potion that will solve all of our problems in life. And it wasn't like that in my own experience. And even when I came to the Amazon rainforest 20 years ago, I already saw the culture being diluted. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And I had to get to know the history, which also was essential in my process, to really understand that the way that these cultures are today is not how they were originally. And many people think, okay, this is how it's done today, and that's how it was always done. And uh, actually, a lot has happened to those cultures. And of course, from the first uh, cataclysm that has occurred when uh, there was a huge epidemic that was taking place here in South America and uh, with the um, coming of the first explorers and missionaries and colonists and uh, the indigenous people, the elders that I worked with, they shared that actually it wasn't even the Westerners that brought that. It was this process happening in the whole world mm-hmm. and they refer to it as the process of forgetfulness mm-hmm. where humanity has gradually uh, been disconnecting itself from the original state of being, that truth of being that entailed unconditional love and people living in harmony and peace all over the world and there are no diseases, no issues, no problems. It was a very high level of frequency that people were able to maintain in their lives and because of that there were no issues. And then gradually out of that original state of unconditional love and people living in harmony and supporting each other and supporting each other's highest potential to manifest in life for the benefit of the greater whole. And then, of course, from that highest potential, people started to develop all kinds of different um, extrasensory powers and abilities, and then uh, focus on that and obsess with all of the different magical powers 
that uh, came out of the original state of unconditional love and forget about the unconditional love more and more and focus on those powers and then all kinds of problems started to happen and all kinds of discord and sense of separation and uh, competitiveness and uh, arguments and strife and conflicts and wars and um, these traditions uh, the way that the elders have shared with me they have come about at that time because originally there were no traditions it was naturally like that people lived in a very natural way in that state of being and then of course when it started to get lost people really started the elders the wisdom keepers they started to notice the trajectory of that and where it was going and then those traditions were developed as a reminder they were meant to be a reminder mm -hmm. to come back into a natural way of life mm -hmm. and um, so then um, yeah there were many different uh, thresholds of forgetfulness that the human civilization has gone through and it has affected different places more so than others and then here in South America this wave of forgetfulness came later on than in other places in the world like in Europe for example and um, then at a certain point uh, this ancient lineages those uh, lineages of reminders they uh, also started to become um, treasured and considered to be something that would be essential when at the darkest time of humanity for the whole world. And so this whole thing with people thinking, oh, this is a different culture, this is a different uh, tradition, and uh, then it's not supposed to be shared. But actually, the elders that I worked with, they saw that it was essential to share that in a meaningful way. Not just to people, to certain people, or to a certain um, race or ethnicity, but to share with people who were sincere, who actually uh, wholeheartedly were willing to see what is the meaning of it, and the meaning is beyond appearances. And uh, it is the heritage of the human wisdom that relates to all of us, and of course, there has to be that willingness to not just go through the motions and not just cherry pick. And also there is this um, consumerist mentality or just twisting everything up and then the culture, the tradition, the practices that are meant to liberate from a certain conditioning then the conditioning tries to adapt it into itself. So it happens with the whole um, movement of yoga and uh, also with the whole mindfulness approach where today there is this term called mug mindfulness. I don't know if you heard about it. Mm. Where the mindfulness that is meant to be applied to recognizing one's own 
self-deception and uh, the ability to find deeper values in life, then it's twisted around and is applied to actually get more absorbed into superficial values and then use the mindfulness for the sake of um, superficial instant gratification and profit and uh, uh, this whole um, corporate world and mentality and then using it in that way. And then, of course, the same thing is happening with the psychedelics today where there is this popularity within the Silicon Valley of like microdosing and using psychedelics instead of awakening from this realm of illusion, using it to actually become more inventive and find ways to succeed in a superficial way in life. And then, of course, it beats the whole purpose of why that was implemented in the first place and then prevents people from actually seeing deeper meaning. So that's also part of it in this whole approach where people are using ayahuasca to just get blasted and disassociate from everyday life and forget about it and have this pressure release valve where originally the sacred plant medicine traditions, they were not meant to be used recreationally, but they were used specifically to face the adversities in life. The indigenous people, they lived in a very difficult environment with lots of issues and problems, and then they had to actually find the deeper wisdom within the problems in their lives and learn how to... Um, allow their spirit to shine in the face of adversity. And that's one of the biggest challenges, that also speaking to the indigenous elders and friends, um, why it's so hard to bridge that gap with the Western world, because in today's world it's based on mostly consumerism and comfort and uh, not so much facing of the issues in life, but more finding ways around them. So the whole spiritual bypass and avoidance of oneself and the whole entertainment industry is based on that. It's kind of like presenting the hero's journey that people don't have to apply to their life, but they can live vicariously someone else's journey and and have a sense of satisfaction without actually Mm -hmm. dealing with their issues. Mm. And um, that's also a big one where today's culture is more based on having some kind of an experience and creating an identity. Oh, I had this enlightening moment and now I can wear a medal and I can tell everyone that I had this enlightening moment and I'm enlightened instead of actually seeing that the only thing that these traditions are useful in is the cultivation of this disposition to face life. Experiences come and go. I think I have an enlightening moment and next thing I turn around and 
I'm more lost than ever and disturbed and it's this whole process like you shared I'm gonna hate the haters and I'm gonna find something to be disturbed and self-righteous about and then it just keeps perpetuating the vicious cycle and in these traditions the main thing is to develop this uh, disposition this uh, um, attitude towards life that is not based on my capricious personality construct and how I like this thing and I don't like this and I'm always resisting life and I want things to be a certain way and I'm constantly upset and triggered and it's everything else's fault and then how can I take responsibility so these traditions are pointing to that and uh, it's very tricky because um, yeah it's this monkey mind that is very untrained and then is um, in a way um, sabotaging everything that is being done and adapting and coming to spiritual tradition and then creating an identity around that or before I was nice and friendly and now I'm also going to be spiritual I'm going to add another label to myself and I'm going to be better than everyone else because this is what I'm doing and everyone else are lost and confused and I'm (laughs) doing something and I know better than them Mm -hmm. and that's not how these traditions were meant to be applied and so there is a big difference between our modern mentality and the ancient way and even for the indigenous people it's very hard because they are no longer living in a society and a culture that uh, is honoring that inner evolutionary journey And then they also have to somehow survive and adapt to this world. And then they see, well, people just want to have a show. And that's what puts food on the table. And it's kind of like this consume and demand process. And then that's what they are providing. So, of course, if people would be coming to these traditions with a deeper meaning and intention, then they would also be responding to that the indigenous people they have this mirror-like approach to life Mm. and it was essential for them to be able to actually thrive in the rainforest is this ability of nature to mimic and to respond and adapt and so they come into this modern um Society that is based on superficial values and avoidance and instant gratification. And uh, then, yeah, they have to find a way to live in that society. So it's this kind of fragmentation that has been taking place. And there is also wisdom in that. So within these traditions, as I shared, there are those filtering mechanisms. And there is this ancient encoded language and our institute is focusing specifically on that context to really see how life is a ceremony and uh, not just it's a nice way to say it but on a very practical level 
and to recognize how every experience in one's life, not just within a spiritual path, but how everyone are on a spiritual path, and how there is a continuous communication that is coming to us from the greater organism. And it's very cohesive and coherent and meaningful if we are actually able to understand the language of nature, the language of the ancients, the language of life. So the work that I've done with different tribes is in a way pointing to the different pieces of the puzzle. And the elders that I worked with, and many of them are not around today, but another reason that, that I felt a deep connection with them, as I shared, of course, there is that ancient intergenerational approach and lineage and um, a science, right? So the documentary, The Sacred Science, was based on, on that, where there was this ancient science of consciousness, of evolution, and uh, it was woven into every aspect of people's lives. And it was based on this uh, language of nature, which is also the dream language, that uh, most of human um, history, people have engaged in that language. And today it is in a way abstracted and forgotten. So today we live in this more conceptual, logical, intellectual approach to life, where in ancient times, throughout most of human existence, it was the intuitive, associative language that was uh, based on metaphors, symbols. The whole um, human language is developed based on that. If you look into the linguistics, it is based on morphology, the study of forms, and how there is the essence that is expressed through the form and yet is transcended by it. And so initially people didn't have words to describe their inner state, but they could relate to the different expressions of nature in a way that was mirroring their inner universe. And that has been largely forgotten. And today that's one of the biggest gaps between those ancient cultures and the indigenous people that are still living in that way. They're not so conceptual and intellectual, but they are intuitively connected to the higher consciousness of nature, of life. And then people come from the Western world, which is very conceptual and often jump from one extreme to another. So from a very conceptual approach to life, then just going into a very mystical superstitious approach without seeing a connection and um, that creates all kinds of different interpretations and problems and confusion and then people find it very uh, of course uh, this very intriguing mystical universe but then getting lost in that where for the ancients and this filtering process, the mystery initiation schools. It's not a mystery because it's a secret, but it's based on each individual's maturity and willingness to face 
oneself instead of just finding excuses. Oh yeah, it was this spirit that made me feel like that. Or it was uh, this plant medicine and this plant spirit that is going to solve all of my problems. And I'm going to do this dieta and this mystical spirits are going to be protecting me. And uh, now I don't have to do anything in my life. And it's kind of like this uh, quintessence of spiritual materialism. I'm going to come to a place where I'm just going to be floating on the cloud and I'm going to have no problems. And I'm going to be protected by all kinds of different external energies and spirits and entities and I don't have to do anything. So for the indigenous people within this mystery initiation schools, how can I take? It's about taking greater responsibility for life and seeing that, yeah, there was this whole process. It's also part of that um, history, the human history, where initially the enlightened ancestors, how the indigenous people refer to them that I worked with, they could see the connection between that. They could see that, yeah, there are those um, essential human qualities that are represented by the um, organic intelligence in nature. And those qualities, then they can be expressed by different symbols and so in ancient times you can see through the different fairy tales and scriptures where when people were experiencing this uh, very elevated frequency of being, they would actually see angels descending from the sky or all kinds of celestial beings and deities and dakis and dakinis in the Eastern culture. And then when they would experience a more lower vibrational energy, and it wasn't good or bad, right? It was, for the indigenous people, heavy or light. Like in Quechua, it's the, the hucha, is the heavy energy. The sami is the more light, elevated energy. But they are all connected. So then, with the lower energies, they would see all kinds of different little, you know, creatures and uh, horned beings and little monsters running around. But initially it was done for the sake of uh, reference, to the ability to relate to those energies and to work with them in a more effective way, to symbolize those energies and then to bring that focus in the meditation and see ways that the energy can transform itself. And then gradually, then it went more into this kind of mystical, superstitious realm and then people started to just um, see it as something external to them. And then, of course, at a certain point, maybe during the Renaissance time, where the empirical science came in and said, no, this is all uh, an illusion, a superstition. It has no meaning whatsoever. And only the material is real, whatever we can directly dissect and touch and experience that is real and everything else is not real. So humanity has gone into another extreme. 
And now through the quantum physics and neuropsychology and uh, transpersonal psychology, actually it's starting to come back. They say, oh, it wasn't just an illusion. It wasn't just superstition. There is meaning to that. And it's becoming recognized again, at least on a scientific level. And um, in the ancient times, the whole sacred science and tradition was based on actually a recognition of that essence that the appearances are pointing to, and then working with it in that way. So the indigenous people and some of the less contacted tribes, so I worked with some tribes that just have... Uh, recent contact. So some of our Kero elders that are first generation who came down the Aosangate um, mountain and the Machiginga, the Wachipari people that are also fairly new to the Western world. And they share things that are very foreign to our modern way of life and mentality and how children were raised and the ability to communicate and the um, relate, the ability to relate to life and not seeing this world to be so material and um, to, it's a very different uh, perception that these people have and a very different reality that they live in that on a very uh, tangible level. And of course, in our society today, we are actually mm, crystallizing this reality with our perception. The way that we see things, that's how they appear. And so it goes quite in depth and how these traditions are. And there is a very um, exact science that... Um, is mostly disappearing today. These cultures have been diluted and adapted. And so for me, it was very essential to really get to the source of it and to see the essence and not just go with the popular kind of ayahuasca spas that are happening today. And even though we work with different modalities, it's not a mishmush, but they're all pointing to that original, indestructible nature and uh, the ability to recognize it and then apply it to life, which is definitely not easy. And these cultures are based on the wisdom of no escape, which is also very foreign to modern mentality. And it's so difficult to share it because of that. So the biggest... Um, in a way, uh, hurdle or the process is this purification coming into a beginner's mind, releasing all the different concepts and ideas and opening up to what is possible. Mm. So in short, that's <laughs> what I can say about that. That's beautiful. There, there's, there's a lot there. I'm not even sure where to begin. You, <clears throat> in, in the beginning, you mentioned this idea and it reminded me because we were partaking a bit in, in Nambil and Coco, which are 
these medicines. Uh, I mentioned to you this this uh, Tubu guy I work with in in the Colombian Amazon, and it was very fascinating for me speaking to him because his people now all live in Bogota. They they've been taken off their land through I think mining or oil companies a lot of his family was killed by by the FARC which was a, a rebel group in Colombia and I, I sensed like very little resentment for him and it seems like if anyone could be resentful it's you know this guy's kind of his culture has been destroyed and from you know all of these different um, kind of foreign entities in a yeah. way um and, but you mentioned this idea, which I think is is really interesting. That you know, like we often think, uh, you know, you mentioned like disease or the, the 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 Europeans, the Africans who came in, and that like a lot of this indigenous culture was destroyed from that. And according to him, just like you were saying, that the, these elders you study with were saying was that that seed was already there, the the knowledge had already begun a process of being forgotten. And that's exactly what he said. And it, it reminded me, even when you were speaking of the, the Bhagavad Gita, where, you know, it's this kind of classic story and Arjuna is talking to Krishna and Arjuna is having all these doubts, like, you know, do I have to kill these people? Like the, some of them are my, my, my friends, my family. And then uh, uh, Krishna says, I, I think very beautifully, like, they're already dead. Like you are just the mechanism that's going to do my will. You know, that this destiny is already in a way like predetermined and, um, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, that's what he was saying too, was this idea that like the Europeans, the disease, like that was just the mechanism that finally did it. But the seed was already there. The, the, the loss of the, the knowledge, the wisdom had already started. So this was just the thing that, that, that finally made it manifest on a larger scale. And I was listening to a, one of your episodes, which I think was really good. And you, you mentioned this idea of uh, Waitiko, mm -hmm. which is kind of, I think, what he was alluding to mm -hmm. is this, this mind that's already began to for, forgot, this kind of this idea where the ego becomes perhaps out of balance. And it's this idea that this is mine and, and this idea of controlling and, and trying to not necessarily flow, but to, to dominate in a way or to control. And in a sense, that's a losing battle because we're trying to control something that's far, far greater than we have the ability of doing. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. But you, you mentioned a few times this idea of science. And I think for a lot of people, that's kind of a foreign concept. You know, when they think of these these wisdom traditions or these indigenous traditions, they don't necessarily, they wouldn't correlate that with the word science. Mm -hmm. Like science is something that's very objective and it can be measured and, as you said, you know, dissected and put mm -hmm. into a number and a form and a box. And mm -hmm. then I know, you know, this is real now. I, I have the ability to replicate it. Why... Why do you see, because even this documentary, you mentioned sacred science, mm -hmm. how do you see these traditions as having this idea of science built into them? Mm. Yeah, so um, definitely this is how the elders have shared with me this um, sickness of forgetfulness that was already happening within these societies and cultures. 
and then um, the science is also a term that my elders have used and shared that yeah, the, this is a science and it's the inner science it's the inner technology that's how other elders have shared it with me it's the science of consciousness transformation and it is verifiable it is universal and we all have this body that is impermanent people think well yeah the indigenous people they are living in a very different environment they don't have the worries that we have in our modern society everyday life but if we look beyond the surface we can see that actually we all have to deal with sickness and loss of loved ones and maybe old age if we live long enough and definitely death where in our modern society the whole culture is based on avoiding those issues in life and considering them to be issues in the indigenous culture they are perceived as essential rites of passage and uh, thresholds of human um, potential that can be awakened through them how to go through those experiences in a meaningful way, in a graceful way, in a way that actually brings us closer to the higher purpose of our lives, that goes beyond just this kind of separate existence. And definitely the indigenous traditions, they are based on conscious reciprocity. So this principle of Aini that is uh, referred to in Quechua language, uh, this reciprocity and it is based on consciousness it's not like everything is one and i don't have to be present in these cultures they're very practical if i'm not present i'm going to be eaten by something and so there has to be this discernment and the conscious recognition of how i am a part of a greater whole and how i can actually um, awaken that uh, presence of the greater whole. The indigenous people, they lived in an environment uh, where they had to actually see a meaning and a way to be in service to that greater organism. When the first Westerners like uh, Colonel Fawcett, there was this uh, movie that came out, uh, what is it, The Lost City of Z. I actually mm. like the book a lot mm. more. And it's this first explorer, one of the first ones that came into the Amazon rainforest. And uh, he actually called the rainforest the green hell. Mm. And many Westerners who first came into the rainforest, they considered it to be an extreme hostile environment and they would go into it like astronauts going to space like completely separated and isolated and then because of that experiencing so many hardships where the indigenous people they saw themselves to be a part of that greater organism and then they learned to thrive within that environment and it was just this change of perception and mentality that was responsible for that and so for them it was 
this recognition how this rainforest it's this cohesive organism that is conscious in and of itself and everything is part of it and it's this organic intelligence of nature of course it goes beyond the rainforest it's this whole universe it extends to the farthest galaxies and the nature that we see is just one of the expressions of it and so then they lived in that kind of way where they had to make a science out of it they had to see in a very specific way how everything is connected meaningfully and everything is pointing to each of us actually awakening our highest potential in service of the greater whole and then on a superficial level we can look and see how the trees, the insects, the animals, the people, everything is separate. But then if we look beneath the surface, we start to see how intricately everything is interconnected. So the in the rainforest especially there is a very thin level of nitrogen and then the roots they expand uh, outward they don't go deeper into the earth and then all the trees are holding each other they're all supporting each other through the root system and then there's the mycelium web that is recognized today as the neural network of the earth where in the rainforest when there is a fire on one end of the rainforest within minutes i think if i remember correctly the trees on the other side of the rainforest, they are already preparing themselves for the fire that is coming through those uh, impulses of the mycelium web. They know that there is a danger coming and then they start to draw more water into themselves and have all kinds of biochemical reactions preparing for the danger that is coming their way. And... Um, there is this very intricate communication across species also. The most uh, obvious example for me uh, that made it uh, really poignant is the uh, Brazil nut tree, the castanha, where for this tree to exist, it has a very hard shell on, on the nuts, on the, around the seeds, the seed pods, and uh, there is this one type of a kind of a squirrel in the rainforest. It's only one type that is has strong enough teeth to break through that shell. And then there is a very specific type of a bee that is cross-pollinating that tree. And then there is a very particular type of a fungus that uh, is fermenting and sprouting those seeds and so it's this relationship between the bee and the tree and the squirrel and the fungus that is allowing all of them to exist and it's like this for each one of us even when astronauts go into space they have to take a miniature version of the ecosystem with them in order to survive we cannot exist without that so we're all interconnected in a very basic way and today of course our modern civilization is not so aware of that and we live in this world of separation that is causing all the problems but 
For the ancestors, that was the science, is this recognition how meaningfully we are all interconnected. And not just on the level of the basic kind of survival, of course that is also present, but on the level of the evolutionary journey of each one of us, this discovery of greater and greater capacity to actually be a conscious channel of that wisdom of nature, of that wisdom of the heart. And so the ancestors, they saw in a very personified way, they recognized, yeah, there is this greater organism, and it's this greater organism that is aware everything is a part of it, and it has this higher consciousness, and it continuously is communicating to all of its parts. And the communication is always about the same, how to actually be in deeper connection, how to embody those essential qualities. And so they would look at the spirit of nature, which for them it was more real than this physical body. Everything is born and everything dies, except life itself, which is perpetual. And it's this love of life that is the spirit of nature. And so for them it was very, it wasn't like some kind of a guy sitting on top of a cloud in the sky and is punishing us. But it was uh, on a very practical level, yeah, I'm going to die one day. But the love that I can tap in into is undying. How can I be in service to that love? And then in that way continue living. And um, then they would try to see if Mother Nature had a face, what would that face look like? If Mother Nature had a personality, what would that personality be? And then each one of us, like you shared also this, um, conditioned ego. Um, it's a personality structure that is conditioned in a way where it's not focusing on channeling that connection, channeling that love to the greater whole, and then how to transform it, how to learn from the personality of nature and then actually raise one's own personality in that image, so to speak. And uh, that was a science for them, and it was very specific and very exact. And uh, in Jungian psychology, Jung himself, he also studied with many ancient cultures around the world, and he developed a science out of that that is based on archetypes, that is based on those, uh, he referred to them as the primordial, um, in a way, uh, building blocks of the universe that have existed even before the material universe has come into place. In the indigenous cosmology from the Amazon and from the Andes and other parts of the world, yeah, it's very specific, very exact, if we actually can understand that language. So the basic 
cosmology, the creation myth, how life came into the world. It's based on those building blocks. So the indigenous people, they say that we come through our parents, not from our parents, the physical parents. Our real parents are the Mother Earth, the Father Son, Pachamama, Intitaita. And there is this basic, so those are the first two letters of the alphabet. Sometimes in our courses we engage with people on this, like learning the alphabet of nature, of the evolutionary journey. And... Uh, the first letter of the alphabet is the mother and the father, mm. the yin and the yang, the masculine and the feminine. Within the center of the yin, there is the yang. Within the center of the yang, there is the yin. The, when the yin is coming into a, a, a certain threshold, it turns into the yang and the other way around. And uh, they are interconnected and it's beyond the form. And then it's expressed through all of the aspects of nature. There are many, many expressions of the feminine and the masculine. And they're all interacting together. And they're always flowing one into another. And uh, then they say in the rainforest that when it rains, for example, it's the mother earth making love to the father son. Mm -hmm. And the uh, rain is the semen that inseminates the earth. And then from that, all the expressions of life come about. And the rainforest is the greatest biodiversity on the planet. And so we can see how they came to that conclusion. And then each expression of that universal love relationship is a child of it. And also a channel of that universal love that is continuously streaming from the earth to the universe and from the universe into the earth. And um, that's the essential purpose of life. We can see the, the birds are not singing for applause. They are channeling that love. They are sharing the odd to the life itself and uh, for the indigenous people that's the sacred science is the ability to become a conscious channel of that universal love to recognize oneself in all of the expressions of life and recognize all all of those expressions of life in oneself and it's this interconnectedness it's this reciprocity that is based on life energy, not just in the Amazon, not just here in the Andes where they talk about the Aini and the uh, Munaichi practice. It's this mastery of love, how our Kero elders are sharing it. And um, for the indigenous people, that's the essential purpose. That's the, the truth of our being is not to be separate. To, uh, but to be consciously connected and to see how each one of us has something unique to contribute to that greater whole, has a unique way to share our love with the world. And then all the problems in the world happen when we forget ourselves, 
as the universal channels and then we become egocentric, self-absorbed, self-gratifying, egocentric bubbles that don't care about anyone, even our own organism and bodies that we live in. And there's all kinds of self-destructive qualities that occur as a result of that. And then, of course, in the Amazon and how it was introduced to me through my elders and also here in the Andes, this process is, this energy is not some kind of a mystical energy that I have to fantasize about. And it's very practical. It's like it's the energy of the feelings and emotions and it's the energy of each moment. Yeah, at some moments I'm enjoying myself and I'm open and other moments I would rather eat a cookie or something and not be present. And there's so many different elaborate ways that we have developed through this mock mindfulness, how to avoid facing ourselves and being present with all life circumstances and situations. And so each moment is unlike any other moment that happened before. Each moment is completely new and unpredictable. And so then that's the energy of life. How can I be open to each moment? How can I channel each moment through my whole being? It's very hard. It's easy to speak about that. But uh, the science is based on that. And then seeing how all of those expressions of nature, the, the, the Mother Earth, it's not just this mystical external thing that I'm worshipping. But it's that symbol of what each one of us is capable of. The Earth is carrying all of us unconditionally, no matter what. The earth is providing for us unconditionally. It's constantly supporting. There is that um, dark womb of creative potential that is germinating the seed of life that is rising towards the light. It's the basic photosynthesis in biology that life is needing in order to continue. And there is more to it than just the biological level. There is that light of consciousness that is discovering continuously deeper and deeper levels of heart's wisdom, that ability to love, to find love in all circumstances and situations. It's easy to love when everything is nice. But then to recognize love through all of the hardships, all of the problems, all of the illnesses and diseases, especially in the Amazon, the teachers that I've had, they pointed me to the fact that it's very different, the disease and how it's approached in the indigenous healing arts and how it's approached in the Western world, where in the Western world, the disease is the enemy. It has to be eliminated, destroyed, surgically removed, poisoned at any price, even if it's the life of the individual. It's more the quantity over the quality. For the indigenous people, the disease is considered to be the mother. When a person gets sick, it's that mother that becomes pregnant with that individual. And then the individual has to actually remember that dark womb of the Great Mother and all the qualities that are necessary 
for oneself to sprout, to awaken towards the light of higher purpose and meaning. And people usually have this attitude where sickness is preventing me from leading my normal life. And I just want to be healthy so that I can keep doing what everyone else is doing or lead a normal life. And in these traditions, actually, the sickness is making you remember what life really means and come out of all of the different routines and habits and superficial meaningless existence and return to the original meaning of it. And the sickness is there to help with that. And there is an intelligent communication that is coming through. It's not random. And there is a science to it. And it's very specific and it's very exact. Only if one is willing to actually face oneself. Otherwise, there are always excuses and ways to avoid. So that's an essential prerequisite for these traditions is being sincere and honest enough to blow one's own covers and to face one's own grasping onto appearances that are substituting the inner meaning. And it relates to food for thought. Yeah, it's like I can just try to fill the void and uh, have all kinds of coping mechanisms, but even on that level there is wisdom to it. What I'm actually trying to do is fulfill the soul, but not seeing it, I'm just grasping onto external appearances and then getting lost in it. So how to navigate the inner landscape and recognize the meaning and get to the source of it. So again, in short, that's what I can share. You mentioned a lot of these these really beautiful concepts and kind of this idea that, that, that so many of these traditions are pointing towards the same thing, that they're, they're sharing commonalities and things like reciprocity, uh, love, connection, uh, personal responsibility, a sense of power. You know, you mentioned this idea of like, if I'm hating the hater, then I'm the hater. I'm the very thing that I'm supposedly against or the sense of righteousness or, you know, pointing the finger. It's everyone else's fault. But where where do I fit into that? This These ideas of kind of facing the self, of, 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 of dying, of, of disease, of discomfort. I mean, a very common theme in, in many of these practices is this idea of suffering, that, mm. that through suffering... That, that's a prerequisite to overcoming that, to transforming that, to transmuting that, to you know, this idea of duality, like to to know the light or to 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 be embodied in the light. We have to know and be embodied in the darkness. It's mm-hmm. one can't exist without the other. Um, and it, you know, even these ideas you mentioned of like happiness, of of peace. What do you think? And, and I know this is a big question, but, you know, all of these different pieces of this science, what do you think is the goal that they're trying to to bring about in, you know, in the human being? Because sometimes, you know, I, I've, 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 I've heard people say, um, you know, something so simply, like the goal is to be happy, <laughs> you know, to love, to... 
to experience the beauty of life. And I think for many people that just seems so hard to grasp, you know, as you mentioned, like they're searching for these otherworldly experiences. And uh, if I just get to the next level, then I'll be happy. Or if I just overcome this thing, then I'll be happy. What do you think all of this is, is trying to leave us with? If, if there is anything, Mm -hmm. what is, because again, you know, you've, you, you've used this word science. Like, what is the science trying to to allude to or, or to reveal? Mm. Yeah, actually, I find that uh, the essence of these traditions, it's too simple for the complicated mind <laughs> to understand. It's too simple. And uh, there is this science that is very intricate, But it's so intricate because the conditioning is so intricate. Because the elaborate self-deception that we live in today's world, and that is a byproduct of our society, and each one of us is a byproduct of that as well, is so intricate and so elaborate. And so to be able to actually recognize all the ways that I'm deceiving myself, and all the ways that... I've been avoiding being alive, facing life. Yeah, if I face life, if I'm being fully alive, I can experience this um, greatest peaks, the peak experiences and all of the joys and all the love and uh, all of the um, positive experiences, but then I also experience all the negative ones if I'm open. And uh, it's this experience of innocence that is, again, often is actually considered to be a taboo in Western world. If I'm innocent, if I'm open, if I'm uh, vulnerable, somebody can take advantage of me. Somebody can hurt me. I have to have this front. I have to develop these defense mechanisms and all of the different masks that allow me to adapt, to interact with this harsh world of separation. And I cannot be myself. And then I start to protect this vulnerable, tender innocent seed that each one of us is born with that is at the core of who each one of us is but then not finding a place for it in the world and then covering it up and creating very elaborate defense mechanisms armors becoming thick-skinned not to come in direct contact with reality and then doing it so well that at a certain point that fortress becomes one's own jail. So even I cannot access that original seed that is so essential for life. Without that, life does not exist. Without that, life has no meaning. And then our whole uh, matrix Western society is actually built on that original seed and is manipulating it for all kinds of different superficial 
gains. You can look at the commercials on TV and you can see this someone who is so genuine and is just having this radiant joy and smile and this glow coming out of them that is pointing to that original state. And then on top of that, there is some kind of a shampoo or a commercial product. And then, oh yeah, I want that state, but I'm fooled by the appearances. And then I think that in order for me to have that experience of that original state, I need this product or I need this thing. But it's all based on that original state of being, on that seed. And so then in order to actually get to the root of it and not to be fooled by appearances, then that science has to be implemented because there is actually very elaborate science that is applied by the Western society in order to create the illusion. There is a very elaborate science that each one of us has developed within us, living in a world where we could not have that confirmation of the inner truth. So we are raised in a society that is making us doubt our own essence. And we don't have a confirmation for that. We don't live in a world that is encouraging that, that is supporting that. And then there is a lot that goes into that development of the armor, of the defense mechanisms unconsciously. So in order to overcome all of those very insidious, ingrained, habitual patterns of being where I'm not alive. I have this personality construct that is just going through life in a very predetermined way. Because I dealt with this problem in the past and that's the best way I've learned to deal with it, and I'm just gonna do that. And I keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And keep being miserable. And not even know that there is another possibility. So the science is, in my experience, is to pierce through that conditioning, not to get tricked by it, not to live life unconsciously and impulsively and reactively, and to recognize where I get hooked and where I get triggered and not go along with that. But the truth itself is very simple. It's that openness, what my teachers refer to as essential humanity, essential human qualities that we are born with. Nobody has to teach us what love is. We know that from the time that we are in the mother's womb. Nobody has to teach us what it means to be at peace, to be at ease, to be at rest. We know those qualities from within the mother's womb. When the child is inside the mother's womb, there is no separation. The consciousness of the child is infused with the consciousness of the mother. Everything is provided. Everything is supported. There is not a worry in the world. Of course, there are challenges. You literally have to grow new limbs inside mother's womb. It's very painful. But there is unconditional love present there. 
and then living in this world of appearances, world of illusion, and not being aware of that unconditional love. Okay, I don't, I have this pain, I have this problem, and I don't think that I have what it takes. I don't have enough love to be present with it. I don't know how to tap in into that love. When I was in the mother's womb, unconscious, it was naturally there. But in the indigenous culture, the science is in a way related to the hero's journey, where initially there is that dark womb, where everything is naturally provided, and the wisdom of nature, we have to go into this conditioned existence, where it seems like everything is separated. And then the mystery initiation is about the recognition, the conscious recognition of interconnectedness and of that love that is continuously present if I'm willing to see it. And then initially everything is provided from the outside and then through this mystery initiation recognizing the inner universe and then learning how to tap in into those qualities and generate that. At first, yeah, we all are having an experience, a glimpse of that, of what is possible, and then it's up to each one of us to learn how to consciously tap in and generate it, not being dependent on external conditions. And so there is this mystery initiation, this gradual awakening to the capacity that each one of us has and is unaware of it. It's that ignorance that causes suffering. And these traditions, they all revolve around suffering. If I am not acknowledging the suffering, then how can I ever resolve it? So the Amazonian, the Indian tradition, the healing traditions, the Buddhism, um, the traditional Chinese medicine, the Taoist culture, they are all based on that, how to find wisdom the meaning in the suffering. Because without actually opening oneself up to suffering, then all we are doing is just running away from it and wasting all of our energy just trying to ignore the reality of things and then never able to, sooner or later, catches up. If it's on the deathbed, and it's kind of too late at that point often because there is no preparation, there is no training. Even the ayahuasca culture, it's been traditionally applied as preparation for death. The most intense experience we can have while being alive is dying. And so my teachers would share that even the most intense ayahuasca experiences were being totally obliterated and uh, just everything is exploding and I'm melting away and every cell in my body is telling me that I'm dying right now. And it's just this intensity, like thousands and thousands of volts going through my being. Even those experiences, they're very um, dim in comparison to the actual experience of death. And if I don't, I'm not able to handle myself during those experiences, one of my teachers would relate to it as the kind of before flying a real plane, you have to spend many hours in a simulator 
So if I don't know how to handle myself within the ayahuasca ceremony, most likely I won't be able to stay conscious and present with that intensity of death that will just treat me to shreds. And if there is no longer a physical body to hold me together, then the tiniest inner conflict will create this uh, fragmentation. And the science is to actually cultivate enough awareness of that nature that relates to unconditional love that will allow oneself to transcend the experience of death and not to become unconscious within it. Mm. And so, um, yeah, they all revolve. And so then, of course, if I keep running away from suffering, I keep running away from my own heart. And if I open myself up, the suffering is not the pain. It's the resistance to pain. It's the resistance to life and discomfort. And if I can open myself up to what bothers me, to what disturbs me, to what I don't like, then I can actually open myself up to all of those essential human qualities without, if there would be no problems, then there would be no evolution. That's another thing that one of my teachers shared with me. That excessive comfort makes us weak. And if I don't open myself to suffering, then I cannot open myself to kindness and compassion and relatedness and experience of others and the community and the willingness to support each other and find deeper meaning in that. So in these traditions, it's very essential to face what is disturbing and bothersome and problematic and then to discover that actually in the face of that the human spirit can truly shine its highest potential hmm. yeah beautiful yeah i mean that seems to me again that this this motif that's found in all of these traditions is death it, I mean, even ayahuasca, the, the, the Quechua name for that, one of the translations is vine of the dead. And very much it does seem like it's preparing us for that. And, you know, it, it often takes time to be able to, to ride those waves because as each wave becomes more intense, it's like, can I hold that space? Can I be present there? And, you know, as you said, some of these experiences can be unimaginable. It's... Uh, you know, if anyone puts themselves in this, even this idea of, you know, what is it to experience the, the birth of a star or, you know, the energy of creation where every cell of our being is, is scattered into the universe to, to ride that wave is, is unimaginable. It's, but can we be present? Can we, can we begin to, to, to ride that wave? And, you know, that's, that's where I think a lot of what you were saying about, you know, is much like in the beginning, <laughs> kind of as, if, as you say to people and other people, kind of like what we think these plants are is very often very different from actually what they're trying to get to. And, mm -hmm. you know, these, these, these beautiful experiences, they're beautiful. They're, there can be a lot of teaching there, a lot of uh, wisdom and, and, and understanding, but 
if anything, it's the, the challenging, the depth, the, the womb, the darkness, the unknown, which is where the real wisdom begins mm-hmm. to arise. One of the things you, you mentioned that I think is really interesting is this idea of masks and that, you know, so much of this work is actually trying to take the masks off. And I think that's maybe another really common misperception is like the more that I do this, like the more masks I have, you know, the, the more things I've acquired, the more, the more layers now that, you know, I am this and I am this. And, but this idea of actually stripping those away, of taking those off. And it seems like very interesting, like, like this time we're living in, when, when we look out into the world, it seems like, I, I mean, I think there's always been this thread going through it, but it seems like it's becoming exacerbated where these masks are given more and more importance. I mean, if we just look at the media or anything, it's all about, you know, you are this, you are your your race, your gender, your country, that, you know, all of these things, you are the, the political class that you're associated with. And, you know, it gives people these layers of like, oh, well, I am this and I have something to fight for and this identity. And mm-hmm. so why, why do you think that's so important, uh, the beginning to strip those away? I, I also listened to a really good podcast you did about cultural appropriation, and mm-hmm. if you feel like talking about that, but I think that was a really good microcosm for that, mm-hmm. because there's truth to that, you know, like, of course, there's, we can appro- appropriate things in unhealthy ways, but also at the essence, everything is appropriated. If everything is God, everything is source, everything is a manifestation of that. And, you know, so what is that balance of, of like taking, but also giving of if, if, if these plants are trying to relate to us, this idea of interconnectedness, oneness, then these masks that we're beginning to acquire like, obviously, it seems like that's very important, that we have to take these away to be able to get closer and closer to source. Mm-hmm. And yet externally in the world, it seems like these things are becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. Do you think that's just a natural kind of reciprocity of, of where we're at and what we need? Or I'm not even sure where I'm going with mm-hmm. this question, but but I think, I don't know if you remember the interview you did with, mm-hmm. with cultural appropriation, but I thought it was very good because you were, you were very much pointing, I think, to these ideas of, you know, what does it mean? Like, what is something that's mine? Like, is that mine? Is that permanent? Is that never changing? And, and what, I think you, you mentioned this really beautiful idea of, you know, it's not so much like the race I am or the tradition that I have or, you know, where I come from, but more the authenticity, the, 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 the way that I show up. And I think that's something that's also really hard for people to grasp because even this idea of science, I've seen this a lot in my work is is this idea of, well, if I just do this, this, and this, then I'll get the result as if that was the sum total, the, the form, you know, if I just do this ritual, then I, I should get this result. But it, it, it takes away the intention, the, the authenticity, the, the true desire, all of these other things that are underneath that aren't necessarily so evident on the surface. And these things, you know, they're not so easy to come by. They actually, they take work, they take dedication, they, they take an authenticity. So mm-hmm. 
I don't even know if that's a question, but sure. yeah, any, <laughs> maybe anything that comes to mind. With yeah, that. definitely. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'll start from the end of mm-hmm. what you shared. So the science is different from the Western approach to science in terms of the externalized empirical kind of process, but it's the inner science. And it's not like, yeah, if I'm just going to go through the motions, there is no prescription. I cannot just follow in someone else's footsteps because the real science is the science of getting to know oneself. And it's the science of actually cultivating those essential qualities. How can I be more patient? How can I be more generous? How can I be more open? How can I be more at ease? No matter what is, that's an essential mantra in my life. To be at ease with what is, no matter what it is. And that's not something that can be imitated. It's not a bag of tricks that can be accumulated. Or I just learn what to say. But it has to be based on the inner science of self-discovery. Of this recognition of uh, essential qualities. And then of course with the masks... It's very connected to that. It's not the masks themselves are not the problem, but it's when we forget that they are just masks and then start to identify ourselves. I am my profession, I am my ethnic identity, I am my, uh, you know, gender. You know, consciousness has no gender, and those universal complementary opposites are present within each one of us. So these traditions are about finding the balance between them and really seeing how the appearances are pointing to something beyond them, but not stopping ourselves at the appearance. Because what I see happening in the world today, it's more a symptom rather than the root cause. This, the root cause is confusion not having a meaning in life, not having a higher purpose, not knowing that something is available outside of uh, this limited, conditioned personality structure. Like, yeah, I have this issue and my personality cannot deal with it. I have a limited personality and this pain is greater than it. And my personality can, and if I identify with that personality, then of course I'm going to constantly be overwhelmed and it's going to be unbearable and I'm going to keep hiding in all kinds of appearances. And then, yeah, okay, I am my ethnic identity and then I can hide behind the herd mentality. Or I'm my political view and I feel stronger because... I'm part of a greater whole, in a sense, at odds with something else. And then I feel justified to project, excuse me, all of my shadows onto some kind of an external experience or situation or a group of people. And you can see it throughout human history, each war that happens between nations the other nation is demonized. It's like all the shadows of the collective are projected because it's more comfortable and easy to do it in that way. It's much easier than to face it within oneself. 
I'd much, much rather make someone else the cause of all of my problems in life and then have this externalized symbol of the inner process that I'm not aware of. And then, of course, it's a vicious cycle that keeps perpetuating that. So then the science is to see through the appearances and not be fooled by that and how to break that vicious cycle and then recognize that actually, who am I? Yeah, I can have all kinds of names. I am my profession. I am like my race. I am my identity. I am my concepts. I am my views of the political situation but those are just labels who am I really is un indescribable and that's scary for many people to actually trust in that like if I take everything away from all of those different labels and masks and identities I am left with something that cannot be actually put in a box. It cannot be uh, categorized. It cannot be compartmentalized. And that's scary because, again, ignorance, not trusting in our own unconditional nature of being, which is what these traditions are doing. Most people don't know that there's something else outside of their masks. And so then there, there is this grasping onto this identity, onto this mask, and fearing of oneself underneath that. And so the point of the science is a direct experience, to have positive reaffirming experiences in a supportive container that allows me to face my shadows, that allows me to face the fears and to discover that I'm capable of a lot more than what I think I can. Through experience. That's the science, is that inner science. It's not the waking up at five in the morning and taking a cold shower, the military kind of discipline, but the real discipline. How can I be, remain open? How can I trust love based on experience over fear and not let fear and scarcity mentality to dominate my life. And for that, one has to actually check and push the edges and have that experience-based trust developed. And in my experience, it has to be gradual. Of course, if I just blast myself off, it can be traumatic. But if I can push the edges and discover that, yeah, I can do a little bit more and a little bit more. And of course, there are some potent glimpses of that, like in ceremonies where everything is obliterated and then suddenly from being this terrifying experience that is filled with resistance and fear and there is that point, transition point, and there is that, um, in a way, transformation that takes place when I can finally let go. And through so much resistance and then 
not having any other choice but to let go and suddenly it becomes this universal orgasm with each breath that is so blissful. Not based on pleasure, but based on that inherent intuitive recognition of the unconditional love that is available with everything. And so then those are glimpses and then of course coming out of that and needing to bring that into everyday experience which is quite difficult and challenging and to connect those dots between the supportive container of the ceremony where there is the collective intention and presence and focus and encouragement of that and then to go into an environment that is not supportive of that into the unintentional community and container which is the world and then to maintain that and then that has to be done in a gradual way and continuous reminders through my own experience I know that I forget so easily and I get swayed so easily and there are so many winds blowing in the world and all kinds of different issues and problems and triggers and hooks and I forget so easily and I do need reminders in my life to keep bringing me back and keep encouraging me to face myself and to be present and to be open and not uh, go along with all kinds of different... There's always something. Mm. I can always find an excuse to be disturbed, to find something wrong. And so to have those continuous reminders is so essential. And that's what these traditions are. They were never meant to be as a something separate from everyday life. But uh, to have that continuous reminder, to have that connection with people who have that same intention and willingness to face themselves, even if we are not living together, but to have a continuous way to relate to each other, to check in, to encourage each other through individual process and example, to have... Uh, the guidance is so essential because it's so easy to get lost in that conditioned mind. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, my teachers, you know, the old school teachers, they're not really there to please you. Like today, like, that's one of the biggest problems that we're also having. Like, yeah, you might have heard good things about Paititi. But not everyone like to have their cover being blown and a lot of people just want to have a nice experience and it's like this ayahuasca bartender no just give me like enough for me to have a nice pleasant blissful experience but where i don't have to face myself and then when the cover is blown and the person actually has to face their challenges then it's very easy to blame everything else oh that was bad and i didn't ask for that and I just wanted a nice pleasant experience and you didn't give me what I want and my teachers the old school teachers they're definitely not about pleasing the crowds and they would intentionally actually try to chase people away and some of my teachers when I would come to them actually all of them they would specifically just push all of my buttons and would insult me sometimes, I mean, insult my personality. 
and would just tell me, what the hell are you doing here? Like, go away. And then they would actually do that to everyone. And then if someone had a deeper meaning and purpose in their lives, not just to pet their ego and to feel special, then they would stay. And that's one of the filtering mechanisms. But today it's so hard because the culture is based on consumerism and just give me what I want and people want to be pleased and then that's not what those cultures were meant to be like. And then there is a whole industry that is being developed, this spiritual industry. And uh, there is a big gap in awareness and yeah, that's also, I find that one of the challenges to really bring those ancient traditions in, in the essence of how they were meant to be brought into the world that is not looking for that. Hmm. And that's why also we've been staying off the radar mostly <laughs> throughout our time because, yeah, we are not really like doing what a lot of other people are doing and we are not gearing towards that kind of experience and we wish to work with people who are serious on their path and are not just looking for some kind of a concert show experience but are wishing to have that maturation and the continuous engagement with life not just in the ceremony but the real science the real discipline of mm. being practical and willing to engage with challenges in life. One of the things you, you mentioned, and I find it's, you know, you mentioned as one of these pillars of, of a lot of this work is, is trying to, in a sense, allow us to feel connected or, or, or purpose in life. And that seems like such a common intention that the people come with is they really feel lost. They don't feel connected. And, um, I think one of your other podcasts, you were mentioning this idea of kind of the archetypical masculine feminine qualities. And that seems to be something that a lot of people are struggling with too, is like, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And mm -hmm. it seems like there's so much confusion around that. And, you know, certainly, certainly in many of these indigenous cultures, there's very specific roles that people have as as a man, as a woman. But but even a, a role that they're they're born into in life, and you know, within that community, each person does have a very specific role, which is very much valued and seem as important. Um, so maybe that's something you can talk about. You know, that idea of of, of a role of of you know, because I think a lot of people come and they do, they have these experiences and then it's like, okay, well now what, you know, I, mm -hmm. and that's part of integration, you know, is what do I do with that? And then how do I take that, as you said, back into reality, into the practical, into the everyday life. And so that idea of role and, and then maybe also gender, you know, because that seems to be something that a lot of people are, seem very lost mm -hmm. in, in, in what that means. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, that's a big topic. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, one of the pieces of advice that I received early on, 
on my journey from an Amazonian elder was uh, he told me once in a ceremony, he said, you know, you can only be a real man if you're not afraid of your inner woman. Hmm. And, of course, that applies also, you know, to women. Um, but uh, in these cultures, this, this language of life and this recognition of the balance between the masculine and the feminine, it goes beyond appearance or physiology. And uh, it's the qualities, right? So the qualities that the mother has is that yeah, this nurture, unconditional love and patience and gestation and support and uh, this uh, generosity and then the quality of the father, like the light of consciousness and uh, this determination and uh, this, um, um, in a way, power that is directed towards the openness that is directed towards love. So it's this uh, balance between the masculine and feminine. If we look at uh, the feminine, for example, as the vulnerability and the masculine as the bravery, and then the balance, the healthy balance is how to be brave enough to be vulnerable, where the masculine is supportive of the feminine on the level of qualities. And it's this... Um, Hmm. staying open throughout all the experiences and the steadfastness and the determination and then at the same time to be patient with oneself and to be open in relation to oneself. And then, of course, uh, within the societies, yeah, people have the different roles you know, on everyday life level that are honored but those roles are secondary to the inner revolutionary journey. So the first priority is the ability to find one's purpose on the level of the inner evolution in terms of um, that spark of meaning, of purpose, of life. Not in relation to the external, but um, in relation to the different talents and gifts and skills and abilities and how they can be applied to fully be alive, to actually <coughs> engage and then to engage in everyday life with that purpose, to see that it's not that I'm engaging in everyday life as a substitute or as a way to avoid facing oneself. But how can I engage in everyday life and seeing everyday life as that platform for transformation? Like the famous quote by Shakespeare, the world is a stage and we are all players. And so then to see that, yeah, there is this stage of consciousness transformation and all of the mundane experiences of life can actually be catalysts for that awakening of the highest potential within. So then instead of trying to hide and find all kinds of different identities to use as a 
defense mechanism and a way to avoid oneself, how to engage with all of those circumstances as opportunities to face oneself on a deeper level and cultivate those essential human qualities. So that's, again, is quite different how it's approached in our modern world, where people just use the external as a way to escape and avoid facing oneself and being with that indescribable openness and a way of being that is impartial. And so instead to engage with all opportunities, all situations of life, to acknowledge that heroic journey that has to do with this very tender seed and initially all seeds have to have I mean most seeds have this hard shell around them to protect them from the harsh environment until they find the fertile soil that they can immerse in and all the conditions that are necessary for life to emerge and then the shell falls away and then the seed that tender seed can sprout and become this millennial tree that is providing protection and support to everyone around. But for that, there have to be those steps taken in life. And so then to see how this whole life can be that stage of transformation, if there is willingness for that. And then I can set up my whole life as a reminder, instead of as an escape mechanism. And in the indigenous society that I live in, that's the most essential, is to maintain that thread through all life circumstances, to see how life can be that ceremony. And then it doesn't matter anymore, the different... Yeah, I I might be inspired by certain things in life, but I, I still have to do everything else. And even though I may be inspired by some things, I'm still good at other things that I may not be inspired by, but I can actually be in service. And then to actually have that foundation for what is really meaningful. So in my life, I have to wear many hats and I have to deal with all kinds of things that are not so inspiring, like in bureaucracy and accounting and all kinds of legal stuff and making sure that the organization is functioning and the bills are paid and uh, the daily mundane things, but then I can bring that peace into it. And I can see, okay, yeah, in itself it doesn't have meaning, but then when I look at the greater picture and then doing that can actually allow me to do what I am inspired by. And then that makes it possible that makes it meaningful so there is that interconnectedness and there has to be ingenuity to really see how all of those things that may seem uninspiring and meaningless and how they are pieces of the puzzle that are also essential and I can apply myself in that way so um, in terms of all the confusion again I see that that's just a symptom. But the real source is the relationship with oneself. And then instead people are living in this kind of world of appearances and then just trying to be someone in someone else's eyes and um, 
trying to appear a certain way instead of actually becoming that essence that the appearance is only representing and then thinking well I don't know how to be at peace with myself or how to reconcile but if I can put up an appearance this kind of like society of fake book likes and if I can just appear to be happy and convince everyone else then maybe I'll convince myself and uh, then getting more and more lost in appearances as a result of that and so then yeah this appearance of the masculine uh, that is actually um, not relating to masculine qualities yeah I can appear tough and strong but inside be terrified of that innocence and vulnerability and openness and then that is something that is deceptive and instead to actually be real with oneself and then discovering that uh, essence that naturally starts to manifest so I find also within this whole um, kind of development of the ayahuasca culture or the other sacred plant medicines such as San Pedro or the coca and people engage with and in my experience just taking the substance the plant medicine will not do it if I just take, have this intention there I'm just going to take it and it's going to solve my problems for me it's not going to be effective and um, with my teachers also I shared that what I valued about them was them being real human beings that are not, were not afraid to also be vulnerable and show their weaknesses and not just try to kind of respond to the demand oh no, people want to see me as this perfect being and I'm going to do that appearance kind of show during the ceremonies and then be complete mess in everyday life and then we can see today all kinds of scandals and problems within the ayahuasca culture also are occurring where like this kind of popular shamans so to speak then they get involved in all kinds of scandals because of this appearance of just needing to appear as someone who has it all together and who is perfect in every way and is doing this perfect appearance because that's what people are coming for and then are totally lost within themselves and confused and then are harming other people and all kinds of abuses happening and uh, yeah just perpetuating that confusion where people seeing them as someone on a pedestal that they are worshipping and then very easily it goes the other way, right? First projecting, you know, the, this perfect someone and then that perfect someone is responding to that and trying to keep up with it. But inevitably the cover is blown sooner or later. And then suddenly it goes to the other extreme and suddenly this person is demonized 
and they themselves have actually contributed to that by trying to actually please people and do what people are expecting of them instead of actually what people are needing and what they themselves need. And um, yeah, that's a big one. And then I see like when those scandals happen, the natural kind of response is, oh yeah, this person is um, like had some kind of a problem, an issue that they were hiding and uh, they could not uh, find that in their life or they have some unresolved issues in their childhood and and then it just uh, projected and then they create suffering for themselves and others as a result of that, even though their intentions may have been good initially. But I see that it's more than just unresolved issues in their childhood. It's also about having no science present within their life, no guidance, no tradition. And then it's quite popular today where like some people go and they study for years. But what they're studying is appearance. What they're studying is how to put up a show, how to sing nicely and to have this nice concert happening but no way to navigate one's own inner experience, no science that is developed. And people invest so much time in learning performance. And then they cannot admit that. It's hard because they've invested so many years in an illusion. And then they cannot admit that to themselves because... There, there's been a lot of investment in that and then they just trying to keep up with the show and then keep confusing themselves and others even more in those cultures again diluted and people think that that's what it's about and a lot of people think that these traditions are just about an experience and a show and appearance and then it just keeps keeps being more and more diluted mm-hmm. You mentioned in the beginning this process you went through with with curing Crohn's disease. What what did that entail? Um, I mean, you know, you, you said at some point you you felt like it was gone. Was that a series of of like dietas of of working with different people? Kind of what was that journey like for you of of coming down to the Amazon, you know, experiencing these different people, different traditions, then finding something that resonated, and then what was that what was that process like for you? It was not a linear process, and definitely when I came to the Amazon, as I shared, I already had um, a certain foundation developed on of facing myself and engaging and seeing the direction and the meaning of how I could approach myself and face myself and then come into these traditions and then connecting those dots together and then seeing how it was um, a certain just um, how to say like a continuous development 
in my life where I was preparing myself for that and then making sense of my life and reconciling and seeing how my physical illness was caused by my own confusion and how I could take responsibility for my life and um, start to reconcile and make sense of my own experience and seeing how it was also related to intergenerational trauma in my family and how my illness, it was not a genetic condition that I was born with because I started to have more and more prevalent symptoms um, towards my early teens. And then, um, um, yeah, I had to really decipher my life. And the teachers that I've had in the Amazon, they pointed to it as the journey of remembrance. Remembering those original states of being before I became so inhibited and closed up and confused and um, disturbed. and um, It had to do with those emotions and feelings and remembering oneself as a channel and seeing all those emotions that I've been suppressing and pushing away because of the experiences of my life and the relationship with my parents and with all kinds of conflicts between them and circumstances and uh, then starting to understand the language and how there is that universal mother archetype and the father and then there is the shadow expression of them that has to do with the development of this conditioned ego that uh, kind of conceptual mind that is dominating over the heart and is using all kinds of stories and experiences to keep the heart closed up and not trusting in that nature of the heart. And uh, so it was um, this journey of discovery and the self-exploration and the coming into all of those energies that got trapped inside of my being that were causing havoc as a result of that and then learning how to engage with them and channel and direct them and also coming out of identities and no longer hiding so again the masks themselves it's not the problem but not just um seeing that that's who I am, that's all who I am. And then gradually trusting more in that unconditional nature of being. And then engaging with the elders that I could see who were real people. That's why I connected with them and related, because they were not hiding behind their identity and just pretending to be someone they were not, and would actually sincerely share with me what this path is about and uh, what is possible, and actually point me to all of the things that I did not like to see in myself. 
and then needing to take the time to make sense of it, not just trusting someone else's word. But of course, I have to give it a chance and I have to listen and recognize intuitively that there is something there and have some of my own experience already of engaging at least to a certain degree and uh, coming out of this kind of um, ice cap of illusion and suppressed emotions. And um, yeah, it was not a linear process, but um, it did involve different dietas and times of isolation and also understanding the meaning of that. Because there is a lot of misconception even in relation to dietas today, which is so prevalent that uh, sometimes when I say it, people who are, again, involved in this world and have dedicated many years to dietas, but are still seeing the dietas connecting with external plant spirits that come and magically do things. But the way my teacher shared with me, it had to be very relevant to my own process where, okay, initially the nature was seen as this higher consciousness and then the nature and the plants were seen as aspects, different uh, personality traits of that personality, of, of that spirit of nature. And then my teachers initially, they would just put me in a hut by myself and not do anything, not even give me any plants. And I would be very upset. <laughs> like, well, I'm here to heal and nothing is happening. What am I supposed to be doing? And they would tell me, do nothing. And then they would take away everything from me. They would take away my books, my notes, my pens and my iPad and all kinds of things. And then they would say, no, just really do nothing. That was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life to just sit in that hut without even a mosquito net around with some of my teachers and get beaten and then all kinds of triggers would come up and I would want to climb the walls and find everything wrong. It's the weather, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's the mosquitoes, it's this food, it's the dieta, it's this shaman. And then my teachers would actually say, yeah, this is the illness. It's not the physical. All of those things that are being triggered, all of those disturbing emotions, are you willing to take responsibility for that? And not blame it on everything else? Because everything else is just pointing to it, to things that have never been actually faced and acknowledged. And then all of those disturbing emotions that I just want to keep projecting on all kinds of different excuses... And then, yeah, how can I take responsibility for all of those energies in my being and not be footballed around by them and dominated? And then when I was willing to do that, then plant medicines would be introduced. So then if I'm confused and I'm willing to face that confusion, at least I'm clear that I'm confused. And clarity starts from that. If I just want to get rid of confusion and not be clear that I'm confused, then I can never resolve it. So at least I'm clear that I'm confused. 
and then I can be with it and not make it wrong. And then plant medicines can encourage. So then certain plant medicines help actually um, cultivate that focus and make sense of one's own confusion, if I'm willing to make sense of it. But without that, nobody will do it for me. There's going to be no magical potion or plant spirit that will do it. And so then that was essential. Okay, if I'm willing to make sense of my life, if I'm willing to take responsibility for all those disturbing emotions, if I have fear, certain plant medicines can help with that strength of spirit if I'm willing to face that fear. If uh, I am... Uh, um, finding myself um, maybe um, getting very angry or upset, then certain plant medicines can help bring more peaceful energy if I'm already willing to do that. And so then the dieta, the way it was presented, was also part of that remembrance process where I have to reconcile with myself and all the people in my life. Not just uh, conceptually where, yeah, it makes sense, I was right, they were wrong, and I can forgive them. But to see how that ignorance is potentially within all of us. And if I'm disturbed by someone, how can I be disturbed if I'm not having that in myself? And I never learned how to deal with it, and I'm just trying to cover it up and pretend like I don't have this issue, and someone comes and blows my cover and triggers me. And then I get upset at them for blowing my cover because I never learned how to deal with those emotions. So that was an essential process for me is to have that as the central focus and then everything else can support it. So my teachers would share that consciousness is the main healing agent. Everything can support it, but nothing can substitute consciousness. If I'm not willing to face myself, if I'm not willing to be honest with painfully, you know, kind of <laughs> honest with myself, there is no amount of plants that I can take that will resolve it. Yeah, the plants can help maybe cover up the symptoms for a certain period of time. They can bring those qualities on an intuitive level, but if I'm not consciously integrating it, it will not last. And I have people sometimes who re contact me who've been, again, like years and years have been dieting and doing all kinds of different initiations, but in this very mystical way. And then suddenly they lose it. And then the mentality is like, oh, I'm being punished by the plant spirits. I have not done the dieta properly. And now I'm cursed for the rest of my life. And there's all those external entities that are upset with me. And my shaman told me that he's done with me because I haven't honored the plant spirits and I'm a lost case and I'm cursed for the rest of my life. And people come to me and like, yeah, I've been trusting those spirits and now they have all abandoned me. Well, maybe you should trust yourself more and not those spirits. What are those spirits? 
And so, yeah, of course, there are those, you know, because another part of it would people say, well, there is no kind of greater forces. And no, yeah, there are, but we are all connected. And yeah, there are of those, there are those forces of nature that are moving through us in a very tangible way. But there has to be willingness to actually channel those forces and learn how to bring them to the heart and not just make excuses and blame the external circumstances and make it into some kind of a mystical spirits that are at fault for me not facing myself. So that was also very essential to, to keep it real. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this idea, and this is something I I think a lot of people struggle with. This I this idea between my intuition and trust or faith, and I think for a lot of people that's that's a really hard thing to to navigate because, as you said, so much of this path is this idea of, of suffering, of being very uncomfortable, of being bored, of of yeah, it's everyone's fault. What do I do? This this person is bad. This and a lot of people would say, well, that's my intuition telling me that. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, there's these other cases where you know, as you mentioned, uh, maybe a shaman or, or someone is is really doing bad things, and the intuition is telling them like, don't do that. But maybe then the mind is coming and saying, oh, well, just trust in this person. You know, everything is okay. So. Do you think that's something that, that just it has to be developed within us through experience, through through our own work of getting in touch of that? And and what is that line between what is real intuition and then what is also trust or faith? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, if we're just going by how we feel, so much discomfort arises that it's very easy, as you said, just to, okay, no, this mm-hmm. is not for me. Yeah, definitely. So in for me, I find, I found it very useful to have this approach where trust, but check. Yeah, I trust. And at the same time, I have to make sense of it and I have to give it a, a try and verify through my experience and give it a good enough try. So initially, um, once I connected to teachers that I felt were real, were more real, then they would share with me, initially, don't make conclusions. Like, yeah, you can have all kinds of experiences and you go through ceremonies and you experience something but then how you interpret it is a lot of it is based on conditioning and this monkey mind that just wants to interpret things in a way that is comfortable. And so they would say like in, in the beginning, like the first year when I was working more in depth with the ceremonies and the dietas, let's say like 30% of what you experience is true. The rest is just your mind making things up. So don't be in a hurry to jump to conclusions. Give it time and allow 
your experience to really show what is meaningful. And then seeing my mind trying to interpret things and jump to conclusions and not going along with that and needing to stay enough, long enough through the process to actually see the real meaning of it. And it's very common in today's world because everything is moving so fast and people are like, I don't have time for this. I just have time for this one ceremony or for this few days or whatever, this dieta. And then not engaging enough to really see what it's about, right? Because the storm comes and then I can easily just get blown away. But if I stay long enough and then the storm clears and I can recognize the essence, then. But I have to give it time to really see what it's about. And so then, of course, in my life also, I've worked with all kinds of different healers and shamans and curanderos and brujos and then it would become clear initially some of them right away I could see that yeah it doesn't resonate with me I cannot relate I don't feel a connection some of them I would feel deeper connection for a period of time until I saw how they are in everyday life and some of them um, I engaged for longer periods of time and then also recognizing that if I'm wanting to find someone who's perfect in every way, I'll never find them. And then I, if that's my level of expectation, then, yeah, I'm only willing to learn when there is everything perfect and it never happens. But if I see... There is something good about everything, something essential that I can learn. And I can approach every experience with a grain of salt. And then I can learn a lot. And then I engaged here yeah, in the Amazonian tradition. It's different than in Tibetan Buddhism and uh, the Tibetan tradition. I actually connected with it before I came to the Amazon. And that was also my guiding light on the level of being. Because receiving certain transmissions and empowerments and guidance that connected me to this natural uh, states of being beyond the condition that I could recognize at the core of my being and know that it's true beyond a doubt just on the level of being and then coming to the Amazon which is it's a very often obscure labyrinths of mystery initiation and that's what they were based on in ancient times like yeah if you have a strong enough pure intention you'll get through it and if not then you'll be you know sifted out with all kinds of different um, mental constructs and interpretations and uh, mysticism and all kinds of things that, you know, just not willing to take the guidance. And some, again, very controversial thing where people say, yeah, the plants will teach me everything. And I don't need anyone to tell me anything. 
And in my experience, that's a recipe for disaster, <laughs> honestly. And because uh, the guidance in these traditions is the science to really navigate the elaborate self-deception and sometimes having an experience where everything in me is telling me to run away. And my mind is telling me that it's bad and actually it's an essential rite of passage. And if I don't listen to the guidance that is telling me that this experience where you feel like everything is falling apart and it's not working out and you just need to leave and this is a necessary experience for the initiation and the recognition of who you truly are underneath all of that. And if I don't have that and I don't trust that guidance, I will go with my mind and I will run away and then have a whole story around it. And so then, yeah, I had to really let things through. And to have a real human being who have gone through their own experience and verified this lineage of other people who have gone through their experience, through their own experience, and is sharing with me in that way, for me it's invaluable. It's not something that can be substituted. And so that was instrumental in my journey is to yeah, engage and take things with a grain of salt and seeing that there is this filtering mechanism and this deception involved and at the same time it's up to me to really make sense of it and to see the meaning and recognize it and my teachers would actually test me in that way and often intentionally trying to confuse me and, and see if I'm actually having enough of what it takes to not be kind of lost in that. And so that was a big part of my own process. And then, yeah, also just to see that, you know, why, why am I doing it? Because within the Amazonian tradition, my teachers would share with me, like, yeah, this path will make your wishes come true. Be careful what you wish for. And the spirit of nature will test you. And I have seen it happen quite a lot, where people would come with uh, this dedication and intention, I want to do this, and I want to engage in this path, and I have nothing else left in society. But underneath that, the real motivation, like I had a friend who initially came to the Amazon with me, and he was very dedicated, very determined. But the reason for that was because he didn't have luck with women, and he wasn't uh, popular in, in society, and uh, so he really wanted that. But uh, he kind of just said, okay, you know, I, nothing else is left for me and I'm going to do this. And then after about a year, his wishes started to come true. And he became popular, with, especially in Amazon, with the local women. You know, they like foreigners. And, and he became popular with women and started to have lots of friends. And his wishes came true. And then he decided that's it. 
he decided, and not even seeing it consciously, but he decided, that's it, I'm enlightened. That's what I came here for, and the medicine told me that I'm enlightened, and I don't need to do it anymore, and I don't need to face myself, and everything is fine in my life. And then it was that kind of very arrogant attitude. We're like, I'm, I decided that I'm enlightened. Who is, who is going to tell me otherwise? And then the whole reality was like, actually just completely, in a way, pointing him in the, in the other direction. Just, he started to have all kinds of experiences where he would just embarrass himself and would get into all kinds of trouble and all kinds of conflicts and not wanting to actually take those messages. And very stubborn. No, I'm enlightened and that's it. And I decided. And then at a certain point, um, the circumstances just started to gather momentum and then yeah, he just had to run away from that way of life and just got completely broken down and yeah, he became a devout Catholic alcoholic and yeah, because of not wanting to admit and then just blaming everything else for what happened. But his wishes came true. Mm. So then um, my teachers would actually warn me about that, not to go along with it, and to recognize these trickeries of the mind. And that was very essential. Yeah. Well, I know we're, we're getting a bit short on time. Um, maybe just to kind of wrap up, so you... You, you started this uh, institute called Paititi, so maybe you can talk a bit about uh, how that came about and, and, and the work you're doing there, if, if people are, are curious about that. Well, the, our organization is a non-profit organization for the preservation of ecology and indigenous culture, and uh, it's this approach to life that is based on the indigenous lineages and traditions that I worked with and also the Eastern um, wisdom transmission lineages. And um, it's based on this deeper understanding of life's journey and this uh, continuous cultivation of the inner discipline that uh, ability to really understand the science of consciousness transformation, the evolutionary healing process, and then see how it is applied on a practical level to all aspects of life, so it's not separate. And then the work that we're doing is engaging with the indigenous elders and the communities and societies, and we're doing different uh, initiatives where we work with the rural communities and do cultural healing exchange programs where we work with the indigenous elders and also natural healing modalities from around the world 
and then reintroduce it to people who have already lost contact with that and have been affected by the modern society and trust the pharmaceuticals and the Western medical system that is not providing meaningful support to them and then they're being in between worlds and at the same time find ways to engage with preservation of nature and ecology and apply it from the inside out. So we call it the inner and outer landscape connection and how this recognition of the inner nature and the inner universe and then seeing how it can be naturally then um, applied into the world that we live in. And it's this platform of consciousness transformation, the stage of evolution that this world can become and how we can gradually develop the sense of community on the level of each individual facing themselves, not hiding behind the community or the herd mentality, but the real community where each individual is responsible for their own life and owning their experience and then relating to others in that way. And so it's something that is sustainable and regenerative and it's this vision that we are cultivating. It has been a very challenging journey and experience and continues to be and also very meaningful and this um, um, evolution and uh, development that uh, has been exponential as a result of those challenges and we are continuing to um, be inspired by this work and to engage with people who are willing to take it into their lives on a deeper continuous level and in in the gist that's the work that we're doing we're working with um, the main plant medicine lineages and take them quite in depth today again it's very popular to have kind of a mix of all kinds of things but for me it's been very essential to have the plant teachers that can actually take me very deep instead of having many different things that are um, not able to actually bring that deeper essence of the inner potential. So the main plant teachers that our organization is engaging with is the ayahuasca, the wachuma, San Pedro and the coca. And um, they are mystery initiation schools and we work with the indigenous elders who continuously are introducing us to this inner technology that goes very, very deep and keeps unfolding the inner potential and the capacity and brings it into everyday life. And is this meaning that we integrate through transpersonal psychology, the Buddhist psychology, and seeing how they are all related and how they're all pointing to this reconciliation with oneself and the awakening of unconditional qualities that can allow us to face all circumstances of life. And I continuously participate in that. And that's what makes it meaningful for me is being a participant. I keep getting reminders. I can channel those traditions and share the essence of them and continuously tap into it myself. And in that way, we are cohorts that 
work alongside with each other and there are no followers and there has to be that initiative from each individual. Mm-hmm. And and how does that look if someone is interested in, in, in coming down and working with you or their their workshops where they come for a certain amount of time and they, they go through these initiatory experiences? Yeah, in um, also through my experience working with these traditions and wishing to really uh, honor their essence and not dilute them, then uh, it has to be a more prolonged period of time of immersion where we can engage together with a group of people and see how it's that engagement and it's the healing circle and the wisdom that is awakened within each individual and makes a difference. That's the biggest medicine, the living wisdom within each one of us that is awakened through these traditions that support the container so our retreats are minimum 10 days and then uh, we have uh, times a year where we do uh, months long retreats and then we also have uh, through this time last year with the whole situation in the world we actually had some time to put some of the uh, work that we're doing and the essence of it in an online format so we have Uh, online immersive courses where people can connect to the essence of these traditions, the context, the meaning of them, understand the language that these traditions are engaging with and see how that can be applied to any spiritual path. These traditions are not sectarian and they are based on essential qualities that can enhance whatever spiritual path people are already on if it's genuine and authentic where it's about facing oneself. That's what for me, makes a difference between the more superficial spiritual approach and the deeper, like, ancient wisdom lineages that are actually about facing the issues, facing the adversity, not running away from oneself. So then we have all of those different ways, and um, we also have work-study service opportunities, and we are continuously seeing ways how people can participate, engage, and find meaning, and where there is a will, there is a way, so. Ah, beautiful. <clears throat> well, this was wonderful. Is there anything else you, you want to touch on that you feel we didn't get to, or? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. I mean, we're just uh, <laughs> dipping our toes, but uh, I'm happy that we could connect and relate to the essence and uh, share it in a way that is um, maybe not so prevalent mm. in today's world. And that's also what inspires me to keep doing this work in a real meaningful way because it's not so available. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Roman. This, this was amazing. And I, I think people are going to get a tremendous amount out of this. Uh, you have a, a beautiful quality of expressing yourself. And I, I think putting these often very complex ideas, as you said, into something very practical and very real. And I I think that's super important. And as you were saying, something that's really missing. And that's really the reason I created this podcast was to give, you know, voice to people like you who who I think are really important. You know, as as, as this work does begin to grow and expand, I think it's really important to have pillars of, 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 of voices that, that speak truth and who have been through that experience and can really relay it and because as you said i i I think the same you know having a a teacher uh, a guide is is so important because without that the chaos can become overwhelming and to have like a a center to 
to, to bring us back and to, to, to be a voice of clarity and strength and, and guidance is so important. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for doing this. This was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah, you know, if you're up for it in the future, I, I think we could go another three hours. And <laughs> yeah, I love to collaborate and mm-hmm. see ways how we can meaningfully raise awareness in the world and be of benefit and be of service. And this traditions also, for me, that's also just a final distinction with the teachers For me, the teachers in my life have been real human beings who are friends, who wish well and know what that means and are also engaging in that process. And so that's what I also aim to cultivate and Mm -hmm. am inspired by. And so we can continue to find friendship and meaning and connection. Absolutely. And if, if people are interested in, in learning more about Paititi or the, the work you do, they, they can go to the website. You also have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Life is a Ceremony podcast mm-hmm. and um, org is our website. If people just Google Paititi Institute, P-A-I-T-I-T-I, and then they can find information about us. Great. Well, I'll put those links in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much, Jason. I also really appreciate <laughs> thank you, Roman. your <laughs> intention and uh, focus and mm. presence. Uh, I find that to be very essential. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> thank you. Alrighty, everybody, that is it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Roman. I think we went close to three hours, uh, but he shared a lot and, and really beautiful. And I think there's a lot of wisdom and gems in there. And um, I hope uh, you all really got something from this uh, podcast and this episode with him. Um, as always, if you're able to support the show, that's a really big help to me to be able to bring on guests like Roman and to keep doing this podcast. Patreon is a really good option. It's a subscription service for as little as a dollar a month. You can subscribe. Uh, There's different tiers you can subscribe to, uh, and it gives you things back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As, and it's a really beautiful opportunity, again, with this idea of reciprocity, of giving something and also receiving something back. Um, So there's a link in the show notes to that. Uh, There's also the option of direct donating via PayPal. To all the people who have done that, thank you very much. I I deeply appreciate it. Um, And if you're not able to do that, simply going on the YouTube channel, subscribing to the show, turning on the notification bell, liking the video. That's a really big help with the YouTube uh, um, algorithms and getting the show out to a bigger audience. And then with the audio version uh, going on Apple Podcasts, also subscribing to the show and leaving a starred rating and a short review is a really big help. Um, my next guest, I have uh, a lady coming on talking about uh, dream work. Uh, she's also a death doula. Um, which I think is a really interesting practice. Uh, her name is Tree Carr. She'll be coming on next. Um, and uh, after that, I'm actually not sure. Uh, I have a number of guests coming on. I'm still trying to figure out the exact order. Um, I haven't shot them yet, uh, but there'll be some really good guests. So thank you all for the support. Thank you for turning, tuning in, and I will see you all on the next episode. <laughs>